You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 69 of the Apple Insider Podcast. We're recording on Thursday, the 19th of May, 2016. Joining me today is our editor-in-chief, Neil Hughes. Hey, Victor. How's it going? Today, if you're willing, I want to talk about all things iPad, Mac, Apple, iOS, and more. All right. I'm ready. Fantastic. I'm going to start off by asking you about Google I.O. And I know that I just said that we were talking all about all things Mac, but this has a title because, because Google released a speaker that looks as if it's trying to take on HomeKit and Siri. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of simultaneously taking on HomeKit, Siri, and um, uh, uh, the Amazon Echo Alexa platform. Now, it, it's it's... I'm not sure. I mean, that is, is it a HomeKit compatible thing? Or no, it's not compatible, but it's a, it's a HomeKit-like thing at yeah, this time? Yeah, so it's a, um, a standalone speaker that plugs into the wall, um, and uh, it has like a powerful uh, speaker in it, so it's meant for listening to music and kind of uh, also taking on Apple's AirPlay. So unlike the Amazon Echo, which is more of a feedback device and you really would only use it to listen to music, this is actually something that you could listen to music on, um, and also get weather, get news, get whatever. Um, and it'll do all of those things and control devices in your home as well. So connect to uh, smart home accessories, not HomeKit. Um, you know, it'll be whatever Google's calling their version of their, uh, their HomeKit these days. Yeah. So, so Google has, of course, the works with Nest stuff. But they also have um, – so they have Brillo, Thread, and Weave. Yeah, I can't keep track of it all. Uh, so I, I've been spending some time memorizing this. So so for our listeners, Brillo is the OS that Google wants third-party manufacturers to run on their products. So when you buy a, a light bulb, they want you to put Brillo in it. And Brillo is basically a, a really shrunk-down version of Android that fits on a, a chip inside there. And, and they've been having some trouble with it. It's, it's been difficult for them to shoehorn Android into that small kind of a thing, but they're trying. Weave is and, – and, and you know and any of our listeners who know this better than I do, please call and correct me. Please go ahead and email me. But Weave is the, the framework that says that I know that a light bulb can turn on, off, have color and dim, or that a ceiling fan can have rotation and which direction kind mm-hmm. of thing. And Thread – is the protocol for sending that communication. It's it's um, so so that you know when you have a a thread device, uh, for example, within Nest, the the one thread device that's actually shipping is the AL Linus lock, and because it's a thread device, it announces itself to Nest. It pops up in Nest's app. And and all of them collect within Nest. I write about this stuff for a living, and I can't follow it all. So that tells you how the average consumer probably feels about this stuff. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. Uh, and and just recently Google allowed people to have access to those those developer APIs and and it's it's so it's still a So very Google new thing. Home is is going to play into this by allowing you to control those devices with your voice. It's an always listening um, device that can play music, answer questions, control things, just kind of a catch-all. And uh, you can swap some of the exterior stuff on it to match the decor of your home so it's not this ugly thing. Uh, that you, you can change the speaker grill to a different fashion right. color. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's an interesting product. We don't know. It's coming later this year. We don't know how much it's going to cost. Uh, but it seems like a way more capable version of Amazon Echo. 
uh, that does a lot more. Well, it is and it isn't, right? Because when it ships, it's not going to do anything with third-party hardware right. yet. So that's going to – that's be, like, like Alexa, like HomeKit, like any of these things, it takes some time to get developers to ramp up their own hardware to match. So, so getting it on board with third-party stuff is going to be initially a little slow, although I would expect something like Philips Hue to work almost the same week that it launches just because – it's so dead simple, and Philips has done a good job of exposing and that to everyone, been on the market so developers so can do what yeah, they there's want. There's no excuse. Yeah. Well, their, their APIs are out there. People write Philips Hue apps right. all the time, so it's it's not it, – it's, it's well understood. The, the audio portion of it, they're basically just using Chromecast right. audio and building the Chromecast audio receiver into the speaker. But it's also going to integrate with Chromecast, so you can, for example – uh, control content on your Chromecast using your Google Home, and they'll play nice with each other. Yes, it's it's building that part of the the app that selects content and wakes up and sends it to the Chromecast video product. Yep. And the way Chromecast works for our listeners who who don't know is that instead of streaming the music from your phone or device like that over your local network, so you're pulling it down from outside to your phone and then from your phone pushing it to a Chromecast. The way that Chromecast works is that you browse something on your phone, or in this case, Google Home, and then tell it where you want it to play. And that device goes and gets it from the internet directly. So it eliminates the, the sort of internal house hop. So, kind of so thing. let's put all this in perspective because I have a theory on all this. Um, okay. So Google Home is, especially when you pair it with a Chromecast, doing a lot of what people hope that the new Apple TV would do. Uh, there was a lot of hope before it was announced that the new Apple TV might – uh, uh, be a crucial part of HomeKit. Uh, that is to say, uh, have its own built-in speaker and uh, microphone, uh, always be listening, um, and allow you to control your HomeKit devices or talk to Siri as you're making dinner in the kitchen or something like that. And we clearly we didn't, didn't get, get that. And I think the reason that we didn't get that is because you can tell by the way that the fourth-generation Apple TV is designed with the Siri remote Apple is very reluctant to create a device that is going to uh, uh, make people feel uncomfortable that they're constantly being listened to. Uh, I think that that's a very conscious thing that that Apple is doing uh, where they don't want to come across as creepy and selling you a device that is listening while you're, you know, hanging around the house. And so, well, and they're right to do that, right? We've seen backlash before with with Samsung TVs and Vizio TVs, right. where where Samsung had a microphone and was actively listening, or Vizio simply tracks what you watch and phones home. So the design of the Siri remote is very conscious decision. It has a dedicated button on it that you must hold down, and only then is it listening, and then shows you a prompt on the screen letting you know that your Apple TV is listening. Otherwise, it's not listening. Um, right. And if you were a conspiracy theorist, then you could suspect that, that it could be listening anyway, button or no, or interface on the TV. But for the no. average person, it's friendly and it feels safer the way that it's designed. It's done that way yeah, in a way. You have to invoke so th that's So that's a reason, I think, that we haven't seen an Amazon, Alexa, Google Home type product from Apple yet. But I have a theory on that. So story came out this week showing um, Siri in OS 10.12 or Mac OS 10.12, whatever they're going to call it. Um, and it's pretty widely accepted at WWDC. We're going to get Siri on the Mac. Now, in that leak, it was also said that in the settings, uh, someone who toyed around with this uh, apparently found that Hey Siri was turned off by default on the Mac. 
So I think if you're thinking about this from Apple's perspective and you maybe want to get into this market where you have a device that's always listening that can control your stuff, but you don't want to creep out, uh, you know, Joe Public and make them feel uncomfortable about your product. How do you start getting into that space? Well, you have your iPhone that has... You, you copy what Google Chrome did four years ago with OK Google by putting it into Mac and having the, the Mac respond to Hey Siri. Potentially. But you have it off by default. <laughs> you have it on your phone. You're, you're slowly introducing it in these devices and having that functionality there. But having a dedicated set-top box that does nothing but listen to you comes across as a little too creepy. I think that you know if you were to have a Mac that you could... Uh, plug a microphone into and you know even if it were to listen for hey siri commands um in low power mode uh or or in uh standby mode when your laptop is closed or something like that i think that's a, a roundabout way for apple to start addressing that market but especially if you're doing it with you know optional things that must be turned on your iphone or your mac you're kind of relegating it to power users people that are opting in people that know what they're getting into people that are comfortable with this feature um, as opposed to having something, you know, that's always on, always listening, sitting in your house and having that creep factor. Right. I, I, so here, it's an interesting thing because people were very creeped out by Vizio and Samsung. People were not at all creeped out by Alexa because they love the idea of being in the kitchen and saying set a timer for, you know, whatever's cooking. Yeah, I mean, I think the thing is when you buy a TV, you're not looking for that. You're not looking for something that's always listening to you. When you buy a device that's entire job is to always listen to you, you know what you're getting into. And so that's one of the reasons that you can't just sell an Apple TV that's always listening because a lot of people are buying it and don't want to talk to it. Um, they're, they're buying yeah, it they from Netflix. Yeah, they want to use Netflix. They don't really care. And, and if they get something and then they find out, oh, this thing's always listening to me and listening for commands, that could be a detriment to the product. So I, I think that it's just different because the Amazon Alexa is a specific product for a specific purpose. And by buying it, you're essentially opting in. Got it. So Got what it. if the Mac becomes Have, the opt-in device for Apple? Um, you know, it's always listening. Um, then that's a very expensive analog to Alexa. It is, but you also are leaving it to users who kind of know what they're getting into as well. True. And I, I just, I, you know, I, I wonder if bringing, bringing Siri to the Mac might be that last uh, element that, you know, uh, that really makes to a point where do you really need something like Alexa if your phone works with it, if your Mac works with it? Um, how much do you need it when your other devices are doing the same thing? Well, you know, let's let's talk about what Amazon's path forward is here, right? What Amazon's thinking of is that they want not only to build this into their products, but they want everyone to build it into their third-party stuff. We saw that with Trilby, the uh, the the thing that you put on the refrigerator is the first Amazon Alexa third-party right. product. They, they've given their sources for doing this out on GitHub, and people can run Alexa on a Raspberry Pi. You do have to use a button to invoke it, same as you do with the remote on, on Apple TV. And what they want is for people to build Alexa into every third-party product, and then they don't have to worry about where the mics are, and everything just happens. Yeah, I mean, let's be real. Alexa, Google Now, Google Assistant, whatever they're calling it these days, they're all way better than Siri. Siri has gained some minor functionality since it launched you break in 2011, but let's be real. Siri is not nearly at the level that it should be right now. They've had five, four and a half years since introducing Siri. It debuted in 2011 on the iPhone 4S. Think about that. Well, and they're losing all the original employees to Viv, which is by the founder it, it, of Siri. It's, it's uh, four and a half years is a lifetime in the world of technology. Uh, the fact that Siri does not work as well as competing products 
um, isn't as fast, isn't as good, uh, doesn't give you the answers that you're looking for, doesn't tap into the data sources that you want it to tap into. Don't pull any punches here, Neil. Uh, I wrote a story a couple weeks ago about uh, the original Siri team leaving, and I took a, a screenshot I recorded on my iPad with Hey Siri to uh, 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 to just have an illustration for the story. So I said, Siri, where are you going? Siri said, who, me? And I said, yes, everybody's leaving. Siri said, I figured as much. And I said, but where are they going? And it interpreted as, but where are they going? And then it said, I'm not sure I understand. And then I said, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. And Siri said, I don't know what you mean by, I guess I shouldn't be surprised. How about a web search for it? <laughs> you know? And so, and someone in the comments, you know, said something about how I wasn't speaking clearly to Siri and I was purposely trying to trip it up for the purposes of this story. And it's like, no, uh, <laughs> you know, when I say Siri, where are you going? She can do that all on her own, right. friend. <laughs> you don't have to work. I mean, it works one. well enough, you know, but when you're comparing it to the competition and what the competition can do, and especially this Vive or Vive or whatever that's coming out, um, there are Viv, Viv, yeah, however they pronounce it, there are way, way better options on the market right now than Siri. And the fact that Apple was first to market with this in terms of an integrated built into the platform virtual digital assistant and that they have fallen behind everybody is inexcusable and is another example of how Apple, when it comes to services, just struggles. Mm-hmm. Well, so we're going to see Home, and Home is going to take on all these things. Is there a reason why our listeners should should look for more things like this? Should they be interested in Home? Yeah, I mean, if Apple doesn't address this market, then there's definitely going to be – um, you know, a desire to have something like this that, that works better. You know, the hope is that this year at WWDC, some major improvements to Siri are announced in iOS 10 and OS 10.12. And I mean, on the Apple Watch, you know, if I use Hey Siri with my Apple Watch, I can do a one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. I can get all the way up to five. And it takes that long to even acknowledge my request. So, I think, you know, on the Apple Watch, it's a processing issue. I think on the phone, it's a, a cloud issue um, where a lot of the data processing and, and stuff is done in the cloud and not on the phone itself. Um, and then I think uh, even when it returns results, that's just an algorithm and, and software programming issue with Apple. Uh, the, the issues with Siri are, are many. And as you see products like uh, Alexa continue to improve and expand and Google Home make it to market, um, that's just Apple falling further and further behind. So I think the hope for uh, Apple aficionados and fans for this year would be let's see some major improvements to the Siri platform and to its performance uh, announced at WWDC in June. Definitely. Uh, I'm I'm beginning to experiment with Alexa a little bit, and one of the things that I, I kind of like about it is the idea that it's not beholden to Android or iOS at this point. It's it's very much its own kind of thing. I, I still have a lot of love for HomeKit, but uh, what I'm finding is that some of my HomeKit accessories are also Alexa compatible, so I, I get the best of both worlds. That's great. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I want to take a moment to mention some of our killer deals, which are available to our, our U.S. consumers, and actually... I, I don't know why they wouldn't be available other than shipping to anyone else. But if you're you're looking for a 2015 12-inch MacBook, uh, you can grab a model 
for an all-time low of $964 with no sales tax in 48 states and three accessories. Or you can grab a late 2013 27-inch iMac with HD display for $1,299 with no tax outside of New York. So if you go to appleinsider.com and you look for our killer deals and just search our webpage for killer deals, you will find this deal there. And what's going on is that Apple-authorized reseller Adorama dropped their pricing across the board on its 2015 12-inch MacBook inventory. They already offer Apple Insider price guide shoppers an additional $35 off each model with the promo code Apple Insider. That's AP Insider. And you have to apply that before payment during checkout. So you, you end up getting the lowest price ever offered for a 12-inch MacBook to date. I know. I know. I just broke the flow of conversation. But I wanted to share that with all of our listeners because, well, cool. <laughs> I, have a, I have a good friend, actually, who's uh, got an iMac. And his iMac started acting flaky. And I, I told him he should go get a MacBook. He ended up getting a 13-inch MacBook Pro. He's very happy with it. So it's definitely worth checking out these kinds of deals. Now, also at I.O. was the announcement that Android Pay is coming to ATMs and mobile Chrome users. Yeah, I mean, I think the announcement was kind of a misnomer because Apple Pay could be working at at ATMs in the U.S. as well. It's just that the ATMs don't have NFC support built in. But you can use Apple Pay at ATMs in China. Yeah, and and I've heard some rumblings about Apple Pay coming to ATMs in the U.S. It's just a but, matter of uh, the ATMs updating to support. I mean, my, my debit card already supports um, Apple Pay. So if Wells Fargo ever decided to add NFC to their ATMs, then presumably it would work there. Well, yes and no. Um, it, it should. But the, the banks are really, really weird about this. So, for example, your, your card had to be enabled for Apple Pay at the bank for them to allow you to use it. That meant that the bank had to get on board with Apple and doing Apple Pay early on in order to, to get all those things in, in a row. But just because they've gotten on board with, with Apple Pay does not mean that your card will work with Android Pay or any other NFC system. Right. And so just because they're enabling their ATMs for Android Pay does not necessarily mean, although it, it should, it doesn't necessarily mean that it will work with Apple Pay. Yeah, I mean – you know, I, I would think that since my bank debit card already works with Apple Pay, you would think that if they were to roll it out at their ATM, it's going to work. But they just don't have hardware support at the ATMs. Yeah. If, if they do the tap to pay kind of, of standard support there, it should work. But there's always room for a bank to screw something right. up. You know, the pay, this is payments. It's very intricate. There are a lot of pitfalls, and and they will find a way to <laughs> screw it up. So you've got the... Uh, the, the only coin product, right? The coin wallet? Yes, I have coin. And you have the 2.0 version, which is both NFC so and So what swipe. happened was I had no real interest in coin. I didn't see the need for this product. Uh, it was an, Well, Mikey loved well, this thing, right? Mikey that's how I got those. it. So it turned out that they announced the product, and if you pre-ordered it, they didn't ship on time. So then they said, we'll ship you two. So uh, Mikey had a spare one that he had sent to me last fall. So I have two versions of coin. I have the original version. Um, and then I was just sent last week. Um, Mikey looked into it and found out that uh, uh, it uh, you had to reach out to Coin to get the second version. They didn't just mail it to you by default. You had to request it. So a couple weeks ago, yeah. I emailed Coin and I was like, "Hey, can I get version 2.0?" And they said, "Yeah, sure." And then it arrived last week. And then this week, it was announced that uh, Fitbit has bought the company. And uh, they are no longer shipping their product, their, their end of life, essentially. So I'm not really sure what Fitbit wants to do with this company because the product that Coin made was designed to spoof your credit card. 
and that doesn't really tie in with what Fitbit does. Well, it was designed to spoof your credit card for the swipe purchases, but for the NFC purchases, it's it shouldn't be. Well, that's part of the problem as well. So it was designed to spoof your card for swipe purchases back before NFC was becoming more commonplace. They announced the product. It took them so long to get to market that they didn't ship until about a month before the uh, chip and pin switch took place in October of last year. Never mind that that migration didn't necessarily happen smoothly for anyone else. It didn't either, happen so. smoothly, but so I had the coin. I used it for a little while before chip and pin took place. Here's how it works. If you take your coin to a place that has a chip and pin reader enabled that where you have to put in the chip part of the card, coin won't work. You have to dip it, your coin card. Coin won't work because coin can't spoof the chip. It only spoofs the swipe. Um, coin, for those that don't know, is about the thickness of maybe a credit card and a half. Um, and and what, what was the point of the product? It is a designed to be one credit card to hold all of your credit cards. So it has a ultra thin battery inside of it. It's an impressive design, I got to say. Um, and there's a, uh, a reader on the back that will dynamically digitally change to display the card that you have selected. So on the front, there is a flat button and a uh, like an old calculator style LCD display, and you press the button, and it'll show it'll uh, connect to your phone over Bluetooth to verify that your card wasn't stolen, and then it'll show you the name yeah. of your card, and you can flip through find your card, and then when you're wherever, you hand the card over, and they swipe it, and then the reader on the back will change to spoof the swipe of your credit card. The problem is by the time this product shipped credit card companies were already trying to depreciate the the swipe capability of their credit cards because it's not as secure as having a chip. So we started to switch to chip and signature in the U.S. last October. Readers started switching over. Um, coin doesn't work in those kind of readers if the, if the uh, merchant has disabled swipe on their reader. Um, or if you, or if you well, swipe, and the your, card. your bank has to have been on board for the card to work with coin no. in order for the, well, yes, to yes, that, that's part of it. I'm talking about coin 1.0. So when I had coin 1.0, okay. Okay. I was moving yeah, on so to when 2. I had 0, coin 1.0, half the time the swipe wouldn't work, you know, go to the store, go to the grocery store, go to a restaurant, go to a bar, you'd hand them the card. They'd either go off and lose, um, uh, a connection to the, to the phone and it was locked and they'd come back or the swipe wouldn't work. And it just got to a point where it was embarrassing. And I was like, well, I'm just not going to use this product anymore. So I got Coin2 last week and I added in my cards and did all that. Well, when you go through on their app, it shows you which of your cards has approved because now it has NFC built in. So tap to pay just like Apple Pay. It shows you which of your cards have uh, uh, approved NFC for Coin. Um, I have three credit cards and a debit card. Only my debit card is approved for NFC and I don't use my debit card for purchases. So coin 2.0. Congratulations. You're lucky that you had one coin of Coin 2.0 is absolutely worthless to me. So my, my Wells Fargo card works discover and uh, capital one Quicksilver and my Amazon card don't work. So yeah. if you have those cards, don't bother. Ain't worth it. Uh, the swipe will still work if a merchant accepts swipe. But the problem is if your credit card has been um, updated to a chip card, which all of mine have, those cards are now known to reject the swipe if swiped at a reader that accepts chip and pin. So your swipes at any chip and pin reader that's enabled will automatically be rejected by the credit card company, even if you're using a product like Coin or if you're swiping your traditional credit card. Yeah. Now, I have a product that's kind of similar to this called a Wocket. 
And the Wocket is this thing where it's got a card in it, and the card is programmable, and it docks into this wallet that has a touchscreen and has all your cards in it. And it will program the, uh, the the swipe for that. The NFC is actually just in the wallet dock kind of thing that you carry around. Interesting. Does it work? And, and you tap to pay with that. And I'd tell you that it works wonderfully, except that none of my cards... Are, are approved for using Wocket for NFC. So I was pretty excited about a product a few years ago that was announced that never actually came out. Uh, did you hear of Wallaby? I have heard so of Wallaby. So Wallaby was a cool concept, and I'd like to see Apple do something like this. So what it did was, and I don't think Apple will ever, ever do it, but it, it would be awesome. So what Wallaby did was it knew all your credit cards, and it knew all the – because a lot of these card companies like Discover have rotating bonuses. So every three months, you'll have to opt in on an email, and then they'll say for the next three months, you get an extra 1% cash back on top of your regular cash back bonus on purchases at grocery stores and movie theaters or something like that. And so it can be hard to keep track of this crap, especially when every three months they change it up. And it's like, wait, which one am I getting more back in restaurants this month? Which one am I getting more back in groceries? Yeah, it sounds like an annoying thing So what thing Wallaby track. did was you would – it was just a traditional credit card. You would swipe it. The transaction would go to Wallaby and then they would forward the transaction to your credit card company and they would handle the, the, the transaction end of it essentially. So they were like a middleman. And what they would do is they intelligently knew, oh, well, you have a Discover card. Discover card is doing bonus cash back for the next three months on uh, groceries. So we're going to put this on your Discover card. So you never had to worry about which card to use. You always swiped one card. It worked like a normal credit card. And they handled the transaction on the back end of it. Wow. It never actually came out. So No, but Apple could certainly do that because they already have everyone's iTunes accounts with credit cards associated exactly. with them. So, you know, all Apple needs to do is plug into and have an algorithm or, or somebody, you know, Android Pay or whatever, that knows the benefits and the bonuses on your credit cards, and they could do something like that, and I think it would be pretty cool. I don't know how much the credit card companies yeah. would like that, though. So so here's what I'm thinking we're going with Fitbit, right? Fitbit, we, we know that swipe doesn't matter, so that part of coin goes away. Fitbit goes ahead and they put the NFC chip and allow credit card information entered in through the Fitbit app. And they're going to have to do the hard work of getting all the banks on board with having Fitbit used as a, as a method of transaction, but um, as, as a payment card. But everyone who's got a, a, a new Fitbit with, you know, a, a rumored new Fitbit, I'm making up the rumor, with an NFC chip in it, um, suddenly can pay by risk. But here's what I don't understand. 100% of Coin's effort was put into designing this ultra-slim, swipeable card. They only added NFC as a reaction to the fact that their card wasn't working as of last October at a lot of retailers. What is stopping – why did Fitbit have to buy Coin? Why didn't they just put their own NFC and work out their own relationships with banks? I mean Fitbit is a known brand and a publicly traded company. It's not like they needed the Coin cachet, so to speak, in order to build relationships with banks as established by the fact that Coin is only working right now with my – my Wells Fargo card and no major credit cards, what relationships did Coin have that Fitbit really wants to cash in on? I mean, I can't, unless they got Coin for pennies on the dollar of what they're worth, um, I, I, I don't really see the purpose of buying them. All, all of their IP was into creating this very impressive thin card, very impressive, but it's worthless. 
Okay, so there, there are a couple of reasons why they'd buy them, right? Just hypothetically. You, you buy them, like you said, for the relationships with banks or, or payment people. So they had Wells Fargo, and they, did they have Visa or MasterCard at all? Not according to the cards I swiped in. I don't have a MasterCard, but I have two Visas, and neither of them. Well, so, so the way that, that this works is they can have a relationship with Visa and MasterCard at the, the Visa and MasterCard level, but if they don't have it with the issuing bank of those Visa and MasterCard cards, then those cards Well, I have don't two work. Visas, one through Amazon and one through Capital One, and neither of them work, so. Right, but but if you'd had one through Bank of America, for example, then perhaps it might have hypothetically. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess my debit it's, card technically it's down is a to visa that well. issuing bank. So that's that's a that's a Wells Fargo thing. But I mean, all these cars mm-hmm. work with Apple Pay. So yeah, the the well, right, but all but Apple went ahead and did the work to get everyone on board. But that's what I'm wondering. Why can't Fitbit just go? On? I mean, they're a publicly traded company. It's not like Coin is a known quantity. Well, so you, you buy it for that, right? For those relationships. You buy it for the users. They shipped 250,000 of these coins, and they can have 250,000 new Fitbit users. I, I guess, but it's two totally different markets. I, I can't see that someone who owns coin is going to go, oh, wow, I wasted $100 on this thing that doesn't work, and they immediately discontinued it. Now I really want to buy a Fitbit. Okay. And the other reason you do it is for the expertise, developer talent. Well, I, I think it's a dumb deal. I, I, think, okay. I think it was a waste of money on – we don't know what – Fitbit paid for coin. Maybe they paid basically nothing. Um, I think it was a dying and dead company. Anyhow, they were on their way out. Clearly, they didn't need to buy them for their intellectual property or their design team or their talent. So I, I, I don't really see what Fitbit gets from this deal other than a way of uh, signaling to Wall Street that they plan to get into the payment space without announcing that they're going to get into the payment space. We know that that Fitbit and Apple are, you know, fighting for some of the same real estate on your body, right? They're both fighting for the wrist, and Fitbit has uh, the the bulk of the share, especially at the lower cost devices, and and Apple is is trailing, right? Right. So is this another way for Fitbit to remain relevant? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they they see what's coming. We just don't know why they had to buy. Yeah, a coin I, I mean, they could put an NFC chip. I mean, these chips are so small they can fit into a flat coin card. So. Um, put an NFC chip in your next Fitbit and work out relationships with the banks. It's not like, I mean, Fitbit is a much bigger name than coin. If you're going to the negotiating table as coin, you have no clout. In fact, you're bypassing credit card companies and spoofing their cards. They're going to be mad at you for it, which is why a lot of them didn't establish relationships with coin. Um, whereas uh, Fitbit is a known brand and they want to do NFC, which could offer more security. I, I don't understand the deal. It makes no sense to me. All right. Well, here's to to us getting Fitbits next year that have NFC chips in them and reviewing them for Apple Insider. All right. Um, And that's that's something that we'll be doing more of in the future is we're going to continue with our review series, and we've got some fitness things Mm -hmm. on deck, I think. Uh, I want to talk briefly about – because we talked about public company. You said Fitbit's a public company. So, so what what is the story here with George Soros and and, uh, Warren Buffett and – Mr. Trump. Well, uh, basically what happened was a few weeks ago, Carl Icahn announced that he uh, had sold completely out of his position in Apple. Um, he was citing concerns in China. Apple's sales in China last quarter were down 26% year over year. Um, and then uh, another big hedge fund manager, David Einhorn of Greenlight Capital, in late 2015 had sold a considerable amount of shares in Apple as well. Um, he's recently bought more, but there's been a lot of uh, hand-wringing over Apple's uh, future performance, uh, and their stock is trading at uh, like a two-year low right now. They've lost some 
$250 billion in market cap. So uh, it's tough times for Apple on Wall Street. So you're seeing the pendulum kind of swing back the other way. So on Monday, it was revealed that uh, uh, Warren Buffett of uh, Berkshire Hathaway, uh, his uh, his fund had bought a billion dollars worth of uh, Apple stock. They traditionally don't invest in tech stocks. So for them to buy into Apple was uh, kind of a big deal and a big announcement. Following that, uh, George Soros, uh, it was revealed, also has a share in Apple, although um, that's more of a uh, Jeopardy trivia question than anything else. Soros's share in Apple is incredibly small. Um, he only has 3,100 shares, so um, $338,000 nice. for me or you might be a lot of money, uh, but for somebody like George Soros, it's not a considerable sum, but worth noting that he bought in. Um, and then the third leg of that story is uh, uh, Donald Trump, uh, no pun intended there, by the way, um, who, since he apparently likes to talk about his manhood, uh, it was revealed. Oh, oh, dear. Come on. He did it during a presidential debate. I mean, that's just this a is a family rated show. I said on nothing iTunes. inappropriate. Um, this is a this is a man who who talked about his his uh, anatomy during a presidential debate. So I think it's fair game. Um, it was revealed that he has between 1.1 million and 2.25 million in Apple shares uh, per a disclosure that was made this week. Uh, the reason that that's noteworthy, um, I mean, 1.1 million is a lot of money again for you and I. Um, not a lot of money for Donald Trump, who has a net worth of four billion dollars, uh, most of his money being in real estate. But it's noteworthy because Donald Trump had made waves a few months back, calling for a boycott of Apple. Um, he took the side of the U.S. government in the encryption debate over the San Bernardino shooting, um, saying that Apple should build a backdoor for iOS and assist the FBI in breaking into the phone. Um, he then at that time declared that he was going to boycott Apple. He ceased tweeting from his iPhone for a whopping three Briefly. weeks and then uh, forgot about it and moved on as a lot of – uh, this campaign seems to have gone with uh, a lot of uh, talk and rhetoric uh, immediately dropped. Um, and it's also relevant because Trump uh, has been making waves as well, uh, talking about how he plans to make Apple manufacture its products in the U.S. Um, the quote from him was, we're going to get Apple to build their damn computers in this country instead of other countries. Um, he plans to do that if elected president by uh, – Ha, uh, imposing a 35% tax on businesses that make their goods overseas. Apple currently makes their Mac Pro or assembles their Mac Pro in the U.S. Um, the logistics of assembling an iPhone in the U.S. would basically be impossible, um, and it's a pie in the and sky. And I'd like to point out for our, our non-U.S. listeners and, and our listeners who failed civics classes that presidents don't impose taxes. I mean th – Congress. Congress writes tax law. Presidents can, can talk about whatever they want, but presidents don't get to decide unilaterally that they're going to impose I mean a tax the president does have the power to impose protectionist tariffs. Um, but the logistics of him doing something like that would be uh, not only uh, politically disastrous potentially and economically disastrous, but for a self-described conservative uh, who promotes free market. Um, <laughs> uh, that's that's not how I would describe Mr. Trump at all. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, the, I, I don't want to get too political here, but regardless, uh, the kind of stuff that he's promoting is not uh, – it would not be free market uh, as many conservatives. Or conservative. Right. So uh, realistically, it, it would never happen. Um, you know, he can rattle his saber and say that kind of stuff. 
Um, but it was just worth noting, um, and we did in a story this week, just because he's talked a lot about how he's going to boycott Apple. Um, and not only did he stop boycotting Apple, um, but he also owns stock in the company. Nice. Very, very nice. I, can, can we talk about iPhone 7, please? Uh, that's what the people want. Give the people what they want. Let's delay giving the people <laughs> what they want. Let's talk about India. Let's talk about China. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk okay. about India. Uh, well, basically, a few announcements this week from Apple. Um, they're expanding their uh, presence in India. Um, India is the next uh, big market for Apple. They're hoping to see growth there. There's you know 1.3 billion people living there. So um, part of the stuff that they're doing is localizing and, and catering to the market to um, to sell more phones and, and hopefully grow their presence there as, as the country becomes more wealthy and has a growing middle class, much like we saw in China years ago. So the, the hope is that they'll have new growth opportunities there. Apple is uh, building an app design and development uh, center and development accelerator in India uh, to encourage development of local apps that will appeal to the market and help the iPhone and Apple's platforms appeal, appeal to users there. Um, they opened a map center. They did. Too, they? Uh, so there's going to be development of Apple Maps uh, at a facility in India. And Tim Cook went there this week, um, hung out with a bunch of Bollywood celebrities, um, and looked like he had a grand old time there. Uh, there were a bunch of photos of him kind of partying it up in India. And I, I want to see a Bollywood movie about <laughs> Apple. The, the Steve Jobs Bollywood story? I do. That would be interesting. I watched a fantastic – there was a Bollywood NASCAR movie oh a few goodness. years ago that I watched. It was fantastic. Yeah, you know – It was it was Days of Thunder <laughs> by God. Bollywood, and it was brilliant. It was it was Ricky oh, Bobby man. as Bollywood, and I loved it. And I would love to see the Steve Jobs story from Bollywood. The Steve Jobs story with a big dance number at the end. Yes. Four hours long with an intermission. Yes. Well, oh, it would be great. <laughs> So they're hoping that uh, the fascination with Apple continues there. There's a lot of narratives underlying this, though. The Indian government has uh, blocked Apple from importing used iPhones to sell there because they want devices to be manufactured in India. Foxconn's building a factory in India. So, and Well, all of this is a legacy from the British colonialism days. You know, if, if you go back and you look at what happened when the British left, um, the the BSA motorcycle – the uh, the oh, I'm blanking on the name the Enfield the Royal Enfield motorcycle all of these British products that the British had brought over um, the the Indians basically took them over and now the only place in the world that manufactures a Royal Enfield motorcycle a British brand is India because it survived in India when the company died in the UK. There's also an appeasement that has to go on with emerging markets. You've seen it in China where Apple you know issued an apology to consumers there uh, over. Uh, certain practices years ago, you know, um, they have now invested in the 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 ride sharing service over the taxi service DD. So, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theories that Apple is doing these types of things because they want to make nice with the Chinese government, and the same thing kind of going on in India. And I think that there's some truth to them. Where I don't know that that's conspiracy well, or theory. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious, but you know, nobody can really say that's what we're doing. You know, it's kind of a tiptoeing around it. But I mean, let's be real. Tim Cook going over there, um, these facilities being opened up are a way for Apple to get some leverage and say to the Indian government, "All right, guys, we opened up a facility. We're creating jobs there. We're going to start manufacturing with Foxconn in India. Now you need to let us 
open some retail stores, import some used phones. We've complied with these rules. and So yes. bend the rules for us a little bit. Let us come in, sell the, these phones, do this kind of stuff. Um, and I, you know, there's rumors that Apple has plans to open its first three retail stores in India by the end of 2017. I think over the next four or five years, you're going to see that start to ramp up in much the same way they did in China. Uh, again, you got 1.3 billion people in India. It's the most populous country in the world. Um, and as their middle class starts to emerge and the country becomes a little more wealthy, uh, Apple's hoping that their appetite for iPhones and other Apple products is going to grow as well. Definitely. Speaking of of products that are growing, the 9.7-inch iPad Pros landed over at B&H Photo with the Apple-authorized reseller slashing $50, $80, and even $100 off the 128-gig and 256-gig models. And those have free expedited shipping and no tax outside of the U.S. So if you look at our Apple Insider iPad price guide and, uh, and take a look, you'll find that these deals are there for you. So go ahead and check out our iPad price guide and see our killer deals on the iPad Pro. Now, the iPhone 7 is shaping up to be a pretty complex product. Supposedly. Would you agree with that? That's what the supply chain rumblings are, um, that Apple's suppliers are gearing up um, and hiring earlier than usual because they're expecting to have a more complex build for this year's iPhone 7. It may also be that Apple just wants to ramp up production more quickly this year so that they don't end up with supply constraints. I mean, you look how flat-footed they were caught this year with the iPhone SE. I mean, it still has a two- to three-week wait period if you're trying to order it. So I think that they want to make sure that they can get as many hands into the and as many phones in the hands of consumers as they can at launch. Well, I mean, just thinking about what the, the rumors say that this thing's going to have, it's going to have a dual camera. It, it could have the smart connector. It may or may not have the headphone jack. It's it's may or may not have an entirely new different cell modem inside. Yeah. Right? One of the rumors says that Intel is going to be responsible for 50% of the leaks, phones. As opposed uh, to all Qualcomm. the leaks suggest that uh, the phone is going to look almost the same as the iPhone 6S and the iPhone 6 before, which a lot of people are going to be disappointed by, but I mean, geez, folks. Uh, um, the main issue is is the antenna lines on the back are going to be changed, but other than that, um, looking larger the same. The, the rumor mill is pointing toward 2017 is when we're going to see a big change in the design of the iPhone with an all-glass design, um, potentially an edge-to-edge -edge OLED display with the uh, speaker grill and cameras somehow hidden behind the screen. Um, I don't know how they're going to accomplish that, but that's what all the rumors have been saying. Um, and that's the scuttlebutt. So for this year's model, um, kind of a evolutionary design. I think the most interesting thing to me um, and the one that may disappoint people the most is um, a lot of the rumors are claiming that these new f uh, features that are the most interesting, like the dual camera design um, and the smart connector, are only going to be found on the larger 5.6-inch plus model. And you're a fan of the smart Yeah, I, I have no interest in buying iPhone 7 Plus. Um, it's also expected they might just ditch the name iPhone 7 and just refer to them as iPhone and iPhone Pro. And so they would allow the iPhone Pro to stand out from the basic model by having a smart connector and having a dual camera design uh, that would allow for much higher quality photos. Um, it's expected that both are going to ditch the headphone jack and use either Bluetooth or lightning connected headphones. Um, and the smaller phone would just have a single camera lens design and not have the smart connector on it. And the smart connector might be used for charging, especially charging while um, using headphones connected to the lightning jack. Who knows how these will shape out? I mean, it may be completely wrong, but that's what the rumor mill is suggesting right now. And it's expected to all launch by the end of September. End of September. Yep. I can't wait, man. Well, 
Is there anything else you'd like to discuss today? Uh, I think we ran the gamut on that. All right. Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. Where can people find you online? Uh, you can yeah. find me on Twitter at this is Neil, And also at Apple yeah, Insider. Yeah, if you want to read the stuff that I write, it's at Apple Insider. Yeah. No, no one wants <laughs> to do that. All right. Well, this has been the Apple Insider Podcast. You've wasted another perfectly good hour with us. And... If Neil orders his iPhone 7 in September by placing it with voice through Google Home, we'll tell you all about it then on the Apple Insider Podcast. <laughs>